the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on Always Right Radio at 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this Wednesday, 7th morning of the 12th month, year of our Lord, 20. 22. Thanks so much for being with us. Coming up on the program in uh, next hour, we'll call it next hour at 10.35, we're going to talk to Matt Sharp of Alliance Defending Freedom. Yesterday we spent a great deal of time talking about the importance of the case argued on behalf of 303 Creative owner uh, Lori Smith before the Supreme Court of the United States on Monday. And... Um, Kristen Wagner uh, was the attorney representing Lori Smith, and she did a phenomenal job working for ADF. Uh, Matt Sharp is on that team, and he's going to be joining us to talk about where that goes, how he interpreted the uh, uh, Supreme Court oral arguments, and uh, what when we get to June or so, which, which is when the uh, uh, opinions are going to be offered by the Supreme Court, what he expects those to look like. It's extraordinarily important. Please do not ever understate that, and do not let uh, do not accuse me of overstating it. It is very, very important that Lori Smith, for all of us, that Lori Smith win that fight. 
So that'll be uh, coming up at 10.35. And then at 11.10, our buddy Jack Windsor, my co-host on Talk and Smack with Bob and Jack on uh, podcast uh, form, will be joining us for his uh, a weekly update on what's all going on in the Ohio news and maybe across the country as well. So we've got uh, Matt Sharp from Alliance Defending Freedom, and we've got Jack Windsor <clears throat> on the schedule for this morning. So I have been telling you for a very long time now, and not just me, but among others, um, to get your kids out of public schools as fast as you possibly can. To get your kids into private schools that are not woke, that are not teaching racism, that are not teaching sexualization of children. And since some private schools are teaching those things, get your kids out of those too. And quite frankly, since private schools are not cheap, I've been telling you, if you can't afford them, find alternative number three or choice number three. Get your kids into a public charter school where you don't have to pay for it. But again, watch very, very closely to find out what is being taught to your kids in the realm of CRT, social-emotional learning, um, uh, uh, sex education, all of the things that the public schools are doing now to overtly sexualize and indoctrinate and in some ways groom your children into deviant lifestyles. Get them out of those places. Watch very closely if there is. There are some, by the way, there are some public charter schools that I absolutely 100% support. As a matter of fact, uh, one of them is being built, if you will, right now, meaning it's in the planning stages, hopefully to open in 2024, and that is uh, going to be the Northeast Ohio Classical Academy. Uh, it's going to be a free public charter school rooted in classical education um, uh, using the model of the Hillsdale Barney Charter Schools. It's a terrific thing. There are about 50, 60 of these schools around the country now, a handful here in the state of Ohio, and we need to expand the growth of those um, exponentially, quite frankly. Um, So that not being an option for you, perhaps, because you don't live near one, then you better homeschool your kids or get into a homeschooling co-op with some other like-minded parents who don't want your kids being corrupted by some of this nonsense. Well, today I want to focus on more of that. I want to talk about what your kids are facing. I want to talk about what is being done with woke teachers in schools who seemingly have no boundaries whatsoever. None. I mean, you know, I taught. I taught for six years in public schools a lifetime ago, early 90s. And I know that virtually everything that I did um, was monitored because it should be. Teachers have to report and and, uh, provide administrators like principals with their lesson plans, with their ideas, if they want to do do field trips, if they want to do anything out of the ordinary. I mean, there's oversight, which there should be. Teachers aren't gods. I mean, we had a lot of... Uh, of leeway, a lot of opportunities to make up our own plans and our own uh, direction and so on and so forth, but it had to be approved by management. It would appear now that teachers have no oversight whatsoever. It would appear now that public school teachers are simply all rogue, and there is no one watching. Because if they were, if administrators and principals and board members and and uh, superintendents and others were paying attention even a little bit, they would see the same thing online that I'm seeing, that you are seeing. And that is these rogue teachers going completely uh, off the wall, preaching racism. No, not white-on-black racism, 
but their own version of racism. The racism, for example, of low expectations. The racism that says black and brown people shouldn't be able and shouldn't be forced to speak proper grammar and and write with proper grammatical rules because it's not fair to them. The bigotry of low expectations that says, you know, being black in America is really, really hard, so therefore they shouldn't be expected to achieve at the same level grade-wise and uh, retention-wise as non-black and brown people. The bigotry of soft and lower expectations, because, you know, there's no better way to lift a a community up, a community, a racial community. There's no better way to lift a race of people up, than to lower the expectations. We know you can't do this. It's really, really hard stuff, and you can't do hard stuff, so we're going to say you don't have to because of the life experiences that you are having in the United States. It is simply repugnant. I've got, and what do I mean when I say that the superintendents and the principals and the others who should be providing oversight to teachers' lesson plans and their methodology and so on and so forth in the educational field, that they should know the same thing, same way that you and I do, because they have computers. They have them in their offices, they have them in their homes, they have one in their pocket or in their purse, it's called their phone, and they have the same access to the same video sites that you do and I do, to Instagram, to TikTok, and I won't get into the nefarious... Um, you know, a use of TikTok by the Chinese Communist Party to mine data from every American's cell phone if they have TikTok. But teachers do, and they use it, and they post their intentions on it every single day. Thank goodness for the account called Libs of TikTok, which is actually on Twitter, in which she, the owner of that site, mines the TikTok world for teacher videos in which they get on there and they just make their feelings known. Why? They want to publicize their their plans for their classrooms and for their students. I don't know. Other than what I've called multiple times, those who are dressing up as the opposite sex and are calling themselves non-binary or twice-binary or twice-baked over or whatever weird little combinations of non um uh, traditional sex or gender order that they want, these people are attention whores. And I think the teachers are the same. They are attention whores. They are trying to get attention. Look how incredibly woke I am. Look how in tune I am with the modern Gen Z movement. Look at, look at how I relate to my students. They are looking for acceptance. They are looking for likes and clicks, just like the students who pretend to be something that they're not do. These people who are not suffering from gender dysphoria, these people who are just simply looking for attention and for the approval of their woke teachers who put this kind of crap online. So I want to play some of that crap from online for you this morning. We're going to talk about it, not just on the gender side and on the uh, uh, the. Um, uh, the the LGBTQ movement, because, of course, we all know... Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. But on the racial side as well, wait until you hear some of the, like I said, bigotry of low expectations, soft expectations for people who shouldn't be expected to do very much because they're black and they're brown. Remember, we're all equal. But if you're black and you're brown, you are not quite as capable of doing things as white people can uh, or can do because of, you know... Systemic oppression, because of systemic racism, of course. But since you can't do those things, we won't ask you to. 
And that'll be totally fair to all of the white students in the room, too. So I'm going to share some of this with you, and we're going to dive into it. You'll notice I didn't lead this morning with the Georgia runoff race. It's because it's irrelevant. Uh, I didn't expect anything more than what happened. I did not think uh, Herschel Walker was going to win. He did not. It was very, very close. I don't trust the outcome because I don't trust anything that Democrats have any hand in. I do not believe in nor trust any state that does early voting as early as they do, for example, in Georgia. I do not trust states that do mail-in balloting. I do not trust states that do not require voter identification. I mean, all of these things, and I don't care if you're talking about Arizona, Pennsylvania, Michigan, uh, Georgia, you name it. Uh, I just don't trust it. Uh, so it is what it is. I think it was a foregone conclusion that the Democrats were going to win that race. Warnock was going to be put back in. And... Um, uh, now it's a 51-49. Instead of 50-50, it's 51-49. It gives them a tiny bit of breathing room for let legislation go through. Uh, it would still take a Republican to cross over or two to do certain things. Uh, but, of course, there is the balance now that comes with the slight majority that the Republicans have in the House. So a lot of gridlock, I think, is what we are going to be in store for for the next two years. And gridlock can be a good thing. Gridlock is better than radical Democrat policies being rammed through. So let's just hope that the small majority that we have in the House is enough to offset the small majority now at 5149 that Democrats have in the Senate and that uh, we can stop so much of what Biden's radical agenda is, or at least over the course of the next two years. And that's all I'm going to say about that pretty much for today. All right, 921 now. I'm going to ask you to stand, Patriots. Face your flag if you have one nearby. Put your hand on your heart and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance. If you are a believer in CRT, SEL, uh, CSC, that's Comprehensive Sex Education, if you are a believer in any of those things, well, then you certainly don't believe in what that flag represents. You are thus exempted from the request to stand and pledge your allegiance to it. You may instead take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback while the rest of us st- stand and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Audio versions of left-wing video insanity coming up next. Always Right Radio right here on AM 1420, The Answer. It's uh, 927. <clears throat> I'm, I'm struggling here <clears throat> whether or not I should even go with this. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's a, I was preparing to share with you one of the videos um, to underscore the point that I was making about um, homeschooling your kids and getting your kids out of these schools that are pushing not only grooming and indoctrination on the LGBTQ narrative and agenda, uh, things on your children, but obviously the ongoing attempt to racially divide kids, to divide black from white or black and brown from white or white from minority status, whatever. 
along racial lines uh, by way of CRT, critical race theory. Critical theory, of course, intentionally divides oppressors from victims. It declares you cannot be in the middle. You are either light-skinned and thus an oppressor, or you are dark-skinned and you are a victim. So I was going to play some of this for you here. And as I was preparing for the next segment, which this is a short one, so I'm going to hold off, I stumbled across another one. Um, and I just don't know what to make of it. Uh, there's a there's a Twitter PhD named Ann Lesby who has 130,000 followers. And I kind of feel like this is a parody account, that this is a joke, because there's no way anybody could exist like this. The bio for Ann Lesby... Describes her as the head of gender studies at ACL University in Pennsylvania, the author of the anti-racist fetus book. She's one-eighth black, semi-trans, neurodivergent lesbian who dates men. Wait, what? Yeah. Why do I? Why did I stumble across her? Because of the post that she made on Twitter about misgendering pets. I ha- this has to be... This has to be a a parody account. It can't be real. And, you know, the fact that I have any doubt about that whatsoever lets you know how far we've fallen. This is what Dr. Piper talks to us about on Thursdays when he says, every time you say, that will never happen, turn around and that has happened. That's how crazy the world has gone with, with this nonsense. The tweet reads, misgendering a pet can result in serious micro-subconscious distress. Pay attention to clues your pet will let you know his, her, their, or seer identity through things like body language, toy preferences, and reaction to gendered pet clothing. Hashtag pet gender, hashtag trans pets. This has to be a joke account, and lesby, but I, with the she, her pronouns. But I'm going to dig. I'm going to see if I can find out, because if it's not a joke account, a parody account, that I think we have crossed the Rubicon. I think it is, we've gone so far, we'll never go back. We'll never be able to undo this. But there are so many of these types of accounts on Twitter and online, generally speaking, that there's a chance that it's real. So this is, this is how, this is the culture war that we're fighting right now, my friends. It is not for the faint of heart, and there will be casualties. And I mean that figuratively, but this is a war, honestly, for the for the minds, the hearts, and the souls of the people of this country, particularly our young people. I'll be right back. Available now at ClevelandOrchestra.com. Take Bob on the go by downloading the WHK Radio app on the Google Play Store. So, upon further review, 937, welcome. Thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio. I went to the actual website. She has a website, does Anne Lesby, Ph.D., and yes, I'm saying lesby with that emphasis for a reason, because it makes it, you know, almost so obvious that this is a parody account, particularly she calls herself a lesbian who dates men. She's got a website on Outspoken which is getoutspoken.com, which I am going to go ahead and assume is either just a parody parody account or it's one of those uh, LGBTQ websites. I don't really have any intention on looking any further. But upon looking at a, at a few more of the tweets posted by this account, um, I, I've come to agree and understand 
that this is nothing but mockery and and making fun of the wildly, crazily, insanely woke LGBTQ agenda. And that's the sad reality of it all. The sad reality, and I just tweeted this myself, the sad reality about that account is it's so it's so like the real uh, comments that are posted by the LG the actual LGBTQ community that you can't be a hundred percent certain you can't be I mean it, it should be obvious here's what I wrote this account should be obvious for all to see as a parody but the insanity that she posts is so darn close to that which is posted by the real left-wing LGBTQ agenda-driven lunatics that you have to pause and ask, is it really parody? Because it's so close. So well done to the owner of this account who has created the character and Lesby PhD um, because it's really good stuff. It is really, really good stuff. This is, this is the reality uh, that the left has created for us, that we can't tell fantasy from reality. We can't, just like they claim, you can't tell male from female. You can't tell, uh, you know, the difference between the sexes. Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. We can't tell fantasy from reality. Okay, let me move uh, back to the CRT aspect of this, because this is what I started, opened up with this this morning. A teacher in California who identifies as cringy as going viral after claiming she will not teach grammar, usage, and writing skills in her English classes. Let me say that again. She is an English teacher. Grammar and writing, that's what I was. Grammar and writing are literally the jobs of an English teacher, along with literary uh, um, uh, lessons and understanding, um, writing, uh, composition, proper grammar, mechanics of language, all of these things are exactly what, a, what an English teacher does. She refuses to teach it properly because she wants to defeat white supremacy. Her name is Marta Schaefer. She teaches English in California at Oroville High School. And she said she's using linguistics to fight white supremacy in my classes and to be inclusive of all ways that we use the language. The expectation that students should use syntax and proper grammar, she says it's based in a deep-rooted white supremacy culture, and she tries to undermine that BS in her classroom as much as she can, her own language there. And I'm going to play the video for you. I think it's clean, Josh Booth, but make sure that you're paying attention here just in case. But this is, this is what we're talking about when we tell you homeschool your children, or get your kids out of public schools, because this woman is not the exception. This woman is not some outlier. This woman is not some one-off. This woman is reflective of the radical leftist movement within the teachers' unions. This is what they do. They see themselves as activists rather than educators. I'm not sure exactly why we're not hearing that. Let's try it again. 
As an educator, I am constantly worried if I am part of the problem. What do I mean by that? Well, public education is an institution that upholds lots of problematic systems in our society, like white supremacy and misogyny and colonization, etc. In my role as an educator, I try to undermine that BS in my classroom as much as I possibly can. I teach high school English and whoo! The white supremacy runs deep. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at how we write essays. Start with an introduction that includes a thesis. Always cite your sources. Use transition words like however and therefore. These are all made up rules. They're arbitrary. They were created by Westerners in power. In linguistic justice, April Baker Bell calls this the language of respectability or the language of power. Which got me thinking, what if I started my school year with a unit honoring how we talk rather than teaching students how to write properly? So this is the start of my series on teaching linguistics in high school. Now, you may notice one thing about uh, this particular English teacher. You may notice how extraordinarily white supremacist her own language is. Did you catch it? And I mean that in in a joking manner. She's very well spoken. She uses proper grammar. She speaks with perfect grammar, perfect usage, a very expansive vocabulary using words that she would never expect her students to be able to use or know, probably because she's white, a white supremacist and they're not. But she literally spoke in absolutely perfect tone, perfect language, perfect uh, sentence structure, perfect uh, expression, perfect vocabulary. But she said she's not going to expect her students to do that because that is white supremacy uh, in play. She said that just because your teachers, your professors, and your boss may expect you to write and speak in a certain way that may not be natural to you, it does not mean that your more natural languages are not important. Your more natural languages are not important. They are just as important, if not more important, than the language of respectability. She said she does not want to become a white savior. Quote, did I worry I was being a white savior? Absolutely. Was it uncomfortable? Definitely. But I put a lot of students, or excuse me, but a lot of my students come here and they're uncomfortable with the white mainstream culture of public school life. So I think it's good for them to see their teacher deal with linguistic discomfort. So in other words, when students come into her classroom speaking the language of the street, speaking the language of rap, speaking the language of, of the, uh, the Gen Z online TikTok, um, Instagram video, Twitter, the language of those things, which of course have their own language all to themselves, a vocabulary that most people cannot understand if you are truly uh, educated in, in proper grammar and proper linguistics. Most people have no idea what is being said, which is, of course, why... We have proper grammar and proper linguistics so that everybody can understand what is being said. It should not be up to a boss to try to decipher what their employee is saying when they come into the room and speak in, in what I can only charitably call gibberish. Because, I mean, my kids, you know, more in a joking manner, my son especially, you know, he'll use like TikTok language sometimes when I'll say, hey, what's going on? Tell me about this or whatever. And he'll do, man, and he'll, he'll just kind of talk in the, the language of, of street, quite frankly, um, and I'll say, "Dude, no, stop!" And then he'll, you know, do it right. This is the culture of the Gen Z um, generation, and employers, teachers, 
police officers, authority figures, should not have to try to decipher whatever somebody is trying to say in whatever weird street or cultural language. Back about 25 years ago, 30 years ago, they uh, oftentimes called this Ebonics. And it was how ebony people or black people speak. And they shouldn't have to learn. This is, this is what the, the left said back then. They shouldn't have to learn how to speak white. They should be able, be able to talk in their own language. And we should. Now, largely, that went away. Largely, that idea that education and educators and schools should be able to understand what the black dialect is and let them use that and have that be as, as appropriate and as um, uh, acceptable in tests, in papers you know, compositions uh, on exams and so forth, that because it's culturally friendly, it's culturally fair, it's culturally, you know, um, um, uh, affirmed, etc. That went away largely until now, until the advent, in my opinion, of this woke school mentality now that says anybody that isn't straight and white is oppressed and it is our job to lift the oppression off of them and let them be what they want to be. And that means including being stupid. If they can't speak or write properly, we won't call that stupid anymore. We won't call that underachieving. We won't call that inability to grasp concepts and communicate properly. We're going to call that fighting white supremacy. So every time a student writes something, particularly a student of color, writes a composition, a paper, an essay question or whatever, and it is completely illegible, it is completely uh, 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 unable to be comprehended and understood, that should get an A, according to this teacher and people like her, because it was a statement against white supremacy, not going to make people write with proper English and proper grammar. And oh, by the way, when they graduate, and we will graduate them, we will not give them the, the grades that they deserve for not being able to read or write properly. We will graduate them, promote them from grade to grade, give them good grades, graduate them, and when they get out into the work world and have to impress a boss or a, an HR person, a hire, some hiring personnel with their ability to communicate, to read, to write, and to speak properly, and they can't do it, we will condemn those employers as being intolerant of cultural uh, language and cultural expression. We will tell them if they insist on their candidates for employment being able to use proper grammar and proper linguistics to, to write and to speak in order to do their jobs, that they themselves are indeed advancing white supremacy. And we will make them stop that. In other words, if they have their choice and if they have their way, they will undereducate a complete generation or two of people to the point where no one can be understood anymore and there are no expectations. Why? Because we cannot expect and put expectations on people who haven't been given supremacy and privilege. Which brings us to video Slash for you on the radio, audio number two. This is a different teacher. This is a teacher who lays it out even more clearly than the last one. So we now know that trauma like just makes it almost infinitely harder to learn when you're a child. And we also now know that systemic racism is essentially an adverse childhood experience. And many researchers 
qualify systemic racism as an adverse childhood experience, which means that children who are black and brown in our schools are expected to be excellent while suffering from complex PTSD. And on top of that, we're also expecting these students to be excellent in a space that is actively hostile to them, their way of being, who they are as people, their history, their ancestors, everything. So, did I mention to you that it's not just a teacher or a few teachers, that it is the mentality being advanced by the teachers' unions? Yeah, I did. And it is. This is a completely different situation, the same messaging. Different different person, different class, different state, same messaging. Black and brown people suffer from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, just because they're black and brown, and the systemic racism in which they live or uh, that they must deal with in the places in which they live make it impossible for us to expect them to achieve at the same level as everybody else. So we're going to lower the expectations for black and brown students. They won't have to get the same grade on a math test to get a passing grade or an A grade. They won't have to have the same ability to write in a paper or a composition or something. Um, they won't have to understand the concepts of a science class at the same level that a white student would because they have PTSD. Do you know how hard it is to learn when you're suffering from systemic racism? And as I said before, there's no way, there's no better way to lift an entire race of people up than to lower their expectations, right? What do you do when you lower the expectations for someone? You urge them and encourage them to do as little as humanly possible to get by. When you lower the expectations, you tell them, don't worry about it. Just do what you want. Just do what you think you can do, and we will promote you through. Because that's a great way to ensure a successful career in in the United States of America, isn't it? Isn't that the best way to ensure that you will not only get a good job when you come out of school, but that you'll quickly be promoted up the ladder? Because of your newly discovered willingness and ability to do as little as humanly possible and just get by. Do these people have any idea, these white liberals like this teacher, these white liberals with their virtue signaling and their white guilt, do they have any idea how much harm they're doing to the black community? The black community doesn't need to be treated like inferiors. The black community does not need to be treated like they're less than. And that's exactly what white liberals do. And the sad reality is, these white liberals are the ones who would tell the black students that they are expecting less from, that it's white conservatives that are racist, that are trying to harm them. Who's doing more harm to a young 15-year-old black kid in high school? Somebody who says, I think you're good enough to pass this test with an actual passing grade. I think you're good enough to understand this material if you apply yourself. And if you take advantage of the resources available, school tutors, study groups, you know, things that students everywhere do, I think you're good enough to do that. Is that racist? 
Or is it racist to say, no, 15-year-old black male, you're suffering from PTSD, man. The whole system is against you, and I know how hard it is to wake up every day living in a place, in a society that hates you. I don't think you should have to do such a such a good performance. In fact, if you just do your best, whatever you consider that to be, I will pass you. Who's helping that black student? Who's harming that black student? The conservative message of we are all created equal. And we now, not always, going back into the history of this country, but we are now and have been for over a century and a half, we are now a country that treats everybody the same. There is not one law on the books that disproportionately affects one race of, of people or another. The laws apply equally to all. And as such, the standards of education and achievement should apply equally to all. Conservatives believe in that equality. Conservatives believe that all men are equal and have equal opportunity and, yes, have the equal ability to achieve at a high level if they apply themselves. It is the left-wing, condescending, um, virtue-signaling, white-guilt-ridden teachers' associations and the like that tell young black kids, we know you're not good enough, and we don't hold that against you. In fact, we feel sorry for you that you're not good enough and that this culture is keeping you down. So we won't ask you to achieve. We won't ask you to overachieve, certainly. We'll ask you just to do whatever you can, and we'll say that's good enough because systemic racism, thus keeping down an entire race of people. I said it before, and I'll say it again. There's no better way to lift up a race of people than to lower their expectations, right? That is the leftist mentality. And that is exactly why homeschool your kids. Because this is the American education system today. I'll be right back. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420. The answer. All right. One hour down. And we've got two important hours to go coming up in a half an hour. We're going to dive back into the um, Supreme Court uh, oral arguments from Monday. We talked about this in depth yesterday. Alliance Defending Freedom defending uh, a, a graphic designer in Colorado who has been uh, told that she must create a graphic website for a gay wedding. She is fighting back against that on her religious principles. Uh, Alliance Defending Freedom defended Lori Smith in that very, very important case on Monday. And today, we're going to talk with one of the attorneys from Alliance Defending Freedom, very close to that case, Matt Sharp. He'll be joining me at 1035. At 1110, Jack Windsor will be in with us, as he is each and every Wednesday, with an update on everything going on in Ohio. I want to uh, switch gears for a moment here. And by the way, uh, open for calls. I, I know I did a lot of audio and a lot of analysis in the last hour. 
I didn't even give you the phone number because I wasn't going to use it, but I want you to use it now, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. I welcome your phone calls on what we're talking about now and what we're about to talk about. So um, I mentioned this in passing to Peter Kersenow yesterday, and I want to talk about it in a little more depth right now. Joe Biden went to Arizona yesterday. Let's go, Brandon, decided he was going to go down to a border state. And while at a border state, at a time in which our border is being overrun by criminals, drugs, human traffickers, cartels, mules, gang members, overrun. You know, all of the same things that Donald Trump was castigated for when he first announced his presidency, or excuse me, his candidacy for president, coming down that golden escalator in June of 2015. Do you remember one of the first things he said is, I'm going to build a big, beautiful wall on the southern border to stop all of this, uh, this, this massive illegal immigration? And remember what he said? And he said, you know, Mexico is not sending us their very best. They're sending us drug dealers. They're sending us criminals. They're sending us murderers. They're sending us rapists. you remember that? And the left said, oh, my God. This racist, xenophobic SOB, how dare he call these poor, little, innocent, hardworking, hungry migrant farm workers who are simply trying to cross the border to make a little bit more money and a little bit better wage and a little bit more out of their lives. How can he call them all of those things? He just hates Mexicans. He hates Latinos. He hates um, uh, 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 brown people. Remember all that crap? It it, it started, really, the national um, media hatred of Donald Trump. And... Some of us knew then what we all know now. He was right. He's right, of course. And it's not just Mexico, though. But this isn't just migrant farm workers or pe- people wanted to come to work in, in uh, lumber yards and work in uh, construction fields and work in you know, landscaping fields. You know, the traditional stereotype of, of uh, Hispanic non-English speakers who come to the United States, they don't have any skills, they don't have any education, they don't speak the language, so they just got to do some some manual labor jobs. And the idea that, you know, these people are the only people coming across was ludicrous then, it's ludicrous now. Trump knew, and everybody else knew, but he was the only one with the guts to say it out loud, that people not just from Mexico, but Mexico and in the Central American countries, and quite frankly, from around the world, if they knew the green light was, was on and that the door was open, they would come and they would bring exactly what Trump said. The drugs and the human traffickers and the criminals and et cetera, et cetera. So Biden, two and a half years into his presidency now, finally goes to a border state. Finally. After all of this time, he refused to go to a border state saying, if you recall, uh, I don't have time for that. The president's schedule is so tight, he doesn't have time to go down there and visit the border. He's got plenty of time to travel from D.C. to Delaware every single weekend. He's got plenty of time to go on vacation trips constantly. But he doesn't have time to take one of those trips down to the southern border. Well, now he's going to a border state. Clearly, this is the opportunity. Clearly, when he goes there for this other event, he can roll down a little little bit more south in Arizona of where he is 
and take a look at what's really happening on the southern border. Well, before he left, a reporter caught him uh, outside of uh, a Marine One and asked him that question. And his response has gone viral as it did. At the border. Because there's a more important thing going on. They're going to invest billions of dollars in a new enterprise. I know it stinks because you got the chopper blades and it's always, or the, or the plane engines, I don't know if he's outside Marine One or if it's Air Force One. doesn't matter. But you hear all of that background noise, and it's hard, and I'm sorry for the uh, the explosion on your ears there, but listen to it again. Think of the border, because there's a more important thing going on. They're going to invest billions of dollars in a new enterprise. The question from the reporter, which is clipped, you can hear the very tail end of it. He says, will you go to the border? Or why won't you go to the border? Since you're going to be in Arizona. And his answer is, there are more important things going on. Because there's... There's a company that's going to invest billions in a product. And this is what I really have a hard time with. Not just the answer, which is obvious, because Joe Biden doesn't seem to think that the border matters. He doesn't seem to think that record amounts of fentanyl causing record amounts of fentanyl deaths in the United States of America coming across that southern border, border, much of it originating in China, by the way, and being brought across the border by these uh, mules. He doesn't think that's important. He doesn't think that the human traffickers leading to sexual slavery in the United States is important. There's more important things going on. We've got a financial deal here to look at. His answer is bad enough. What really gets me, what grinds my gears, to borrow a phrase, is that reporters don't ever follow up with the right question. Sir, you can't do two things at once? Sir, glad you're going to be there for that event. While you're in Arizona, can you make a trip down to see the real, the reality of what's going on at that southern border? Why doesn't anyone follow up with these people? Why doesn't anybody say, sir, glad you're going to be there for that event. Can you also go down and see the calamity at the southern border, sir? Experience it for yourself so that you can have a real idea of what the Border Patrol agents face daily. So you can have a real idea of exactly how how deep the problem actually runs. There have been two and a half million people who have crossed that border in the last year, illegally. Not counting the gotaways that we couldn't even track down because they had something really serious to hide. Many of the crossers, they, they, they come across and they literally turn themselves in. They get apprehended because they know all they have to do is say, asylum, I'm seeking asylum. And then because of the Biden policies that got rid of the Remain in Mexico plan for asylum seekers. Because of the Biden policies, they have to be turned loose into the United States. So two and a half million people have been turned loose into the United States, not counting the gotaways who don't want to turn themselves in because they're carrying what? They're either smuggling people or they're smuggling drugs or they're, gang- or they're terrorists or on watch lists, gang members, and so forth. Those individuals just keep rolling on right on through. And Joe Biden says this isn't important. The more important things going on. Most important, yeah. Get the border. Because there's a more important thing going on. They're going to invest billions of dollars in a new enterprise. They're going to invest billions of dollars in a new enterprise. Sir, can you go to the border after your billion-dollar investment in the new enterprise meeting is over? You're going to be in Arizona. It's a quick trip. There's ice cream down there. Maybe that was the hook. Somebody needs to say something that's going to make this guy answer for his refusal to see the invasion that he has caused. And somebody needs 
to, to make him actually physically witness it. Make him witness it or answer why he refuses. Make him answer. No one does that. No one, even, even Peter Ducey, when Biden takes the occasional question from the press, you know, he'll, he'll hit uh, KJPDH with that, Corrine Jean-Pierre diversity hire. He'll hit her with that, but nobody will hit Biden with that. Make him answer. The U.S. saw 2,378,944 encounters at the border in the fiscal year 2022. That number excludes the nearly 600,000 known gotaways who escaped custody altogether. In the fiscal year 2021, there were uh, 389,155 gotaways. The U.S. has already experienced 137,000 gotaways in fiscal year 2023, and it just started in October. In other words, it's a full-on deluge getting worse by the month. By some estimates, there have been more than 4.5 million encounters at the border under the Biden administration alone. Millions being released into the United States because they claim asylum. And what do we have in response to this? From Biden, the response is, we got more important things to worry about. They're investing billions of dollars in a new project. From Chuck Schumer, from the left... They say we need to provide amnesty and a pathway to citizenship for all of the illegals that are in this country. Forget about the criminals. Forget about the rapists. Forget about the murderers. Forget about the drug cartels. Forget about the gang members. Forget about the human traffickers. If they're here illegally, we need to provide a path to citizenship for them. Somebody has to explain to me how it is that he gets away with this without anyone questioning him. I know the left won't question him, but there's got to be at least one decent reporter who can ask a good question like the one you just heard, who has the guts and the kulians to follow up with a better one. Sir, if you think that the semiconductor uh, chip plant is really, really important, I respect that, sir. But since you're in the same state, can you do two things today? Can you also roll down to the southern border and see what is happening to our once sovereign nation before you roll back to D.C.? Can you do that, sir? Make him answer the questions. I've had just about enough of him skating on all of the important issues, skating on his lies, skating on his statements of of what is really important and what is not. I'm done with that. 216-901-0945, 888-281-1110, Dallas Up, we'll get you up and on the radio after this quick timeout. Always right, Radio AM 1420, The Answer. Always right, Radio. Repeat the line. For the last time, anything you put on that prompter, Burgundy will read. On The Answer. Okay, 1025 now. Always right, Radio and AM 1420, The Answer. There's a response, by the way, to a lot of what I was just talking about um, with respect to the border and to you know Biden saying there's more important things to worry about. And the left saying, yeah, but let's worry about it anyway in a way that says... Keep them coming. Keep them coming through. Keep the flow, the spigot open, because we're going to give them all amnesty. We're going to give them amnesty and a pathway to citizenship. The Heritage Action uh, Foundation has uh, responded to that. Heritage Action sounding alarm saying, and I quote, 
In, and this is important, by the way, because we're about to talk about some Republicans, too. This isn't just all Democrats. It's left-wingers. And yes, there are left-wing Republicans. If you didn't know that before, this should tell you that. In the Senate, reports have emerged that Senator Tom Tillis and Senator Cinema have agreed on an immigration reform framework. Why is Tom Tillis working with a Democrat on immigration reform? That would grant amnesty to 2 million illegal aliens and add funding to speed up the process of waves of asylum seekers flooding our southern border. In other words, not actually considering whether or not they have a legitimate case. Just give them blanket acceptance of their asylum request. This would be, going back to Heritage, a virtual free pass to 2 million immigrants who have not been fully processed and who would only encourage millions more to rush the border and join the other so-called asylum seekers that have pushed across the border under the Biden administration's control. End quote. Heritage Action Executive Director Jessica Anderson released in a statement urging congressional conservatives to vote against these proposals. Quote, Congress must not fall for the same broken promises of comprehensive immigration reform that all eventually end in the promise of amnesty and a green light to more illegal border crossings. Um, Director Anderson also slammed an immigration proposal in the House as being a gift to the Chinese Communist Party. And it is. Quote, The House is gearing up to vote on the equally misguided lame duck proposal, the Eagle Act. This proposal would add insult to injury by increasing chain migration and creating new opportunities for our adversaries, like the CCP, to take advantage of our immigration system's obvious shortcomings. Our laws should hold the CCP accountable for their espionage and their intellectual property theft, not reward their bad behavior. So this lame duck session is already underway, and they're already trying to advance as much radical trash legislation as they possibly can before the new Congress takes over, and the brake pedal can be used for the first time in a long time by a Republican-controlled House. They're trying to ramrod through that ridiculous uh, Respect for Marriage Act, which completely violates and destroys the First Amendment. They're trying to ramrod through the uh, the media... Uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The media control, essentially. And that's not the word I'm looking for, but I'm blanking on it. Um, but the uh, the legislation that essentially tells the giant media companies that they can they can freeze out by forming uh, conglomerates, by forming uh, essentially um, another word I'm I'm blanking on right now. Apologize, apologize. I'm looking at the clock here and I'm trying to get out on time. But they're uh, they're going to form essentially cartels, media cartels that freeze out independent, smaller uh, journalist journalistic uh, um, uh, uh, entities. The bottom line is they're going to try to, again, suppress free speech of organizations that they don't support so that only the largest media companies will be able to have advantage of the public space. So anyway, they're trying to ramrod that one through, and now they're trying to ramrod this amnesty through, too, all before January and before the next Congress takes over. So that's what I was laboring to say. This is very, very dangerous, and it's very, very difficult, and it's something you better be aware of and talk to these members of Congress before this Congress is out. Now we'll get to our news. Uh, On the other side of the news, we're going to revisit Monday's oral arguments at the Supreme Court in support of uh, 303 Creative. 
a Colorado-based graphic designer being forced to create same-sex weddings by the state, or create same-sex wedding websites by the state of Colorado. They've taken it to the court, and we're going to talk to the attorneys who defended 303 Creative. Matt Sharp will be joining us next on Always Right Radio. Welcome back to Always Right Radio on The Answer. 1036 now, we continue on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Yesterday, we spent a great deal of time talking about this. We want to go more in-depth now. And, of course, I'm speaking of the Monday oral arguments before the Supreme Court of the United States. As uh, Lori Smith, the owner of 303 Creative in Colorado, is challenging the state of Colorado's rights to force her to say something she doesn't want to say through her talents as a graphic artist uh, and a creator of websites. She was demanded to create a same-sex wedding website. She refused, and now we are at the Supreme Court. The arguments made on behalf of Lori Smith came from Alliance Defending Freedom and Kristen Wagner. Here's part of the spectacular close that you need to hear. Cultural winds may shift, but the compelled speech doctrine should not. Compelled speech crushes the speaker's conscience, and it is the tool of authoritarianism, which is why this court has never allowed it. In the end, it is not Ms. Smith who is asking you to change the law, but Colorado. This court should affirm, again, that public accommodation laws cannot be used to compel speech, and this includes artistic expression photography, painting, calligraphy, and films, forms of media media that the lower courts have shockingly refused, refused to recognize as speech when it comes to marriage. And yes, this court should give guidance to limit the cruelty that has been imposed by endless litigation on artists like Jack Phillips. That's Kristen Wagoner, who uh, argued the case before the Supreme Court yesterday. Again, she represents Alliance Defending Freedom, and they collectively represented Lori Smith and 303 Creative. Joining us now with more details on the importance of that case is Matt Sharp, Senior Counsel, State Government Relations National Director. Matt, thank you for the time this morning. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. This is such a big case. Uh, you know, every time there is an, an Alliance Defending Freedom case that makes it to the Supreme Court, we like to spotlight it because it's so incredibly important, the work that you do uh, and the fact that um, you guys provide these services pro bono for these particular clients and you, you rely on uh, the support of, of American citizens who believe in freedom and who believe in rights. And uh, so we're going to make sure that everybody has a chance to support you guys for what you're doing here. Matt, tell me the importance, in your words, your view, of this case beyond Lori Smith, beyond 303 Creative, and particularly vis-a-vis the First Amendment for all of us. Yeah, I mean, this, this case really is about free speech for everyone. Where Lori Smith, who serves everyone, people from all walks of life, including LGBT individuals, uh, but is being told by the state of Colorado that she must nonetheless promote specific messages specifically in this case, messages that contradict her belief that marriage is the union between one man and one woman. So if Colorado prevails, and it can tell Lori that she must express messages, she must celebrate events and ideas and causes that violate her beliefs, what's the limiting principle on that? What else could any state, what else could any government tell any of us that we must promote, that we must support, that we must speak about anything the government wants to push on us? So that's why a win for Lori truly would be a win, not just for other artists, other graphic designers, other creators, but really for everyone who could face the same, same, uh, similar type of government coercion of our speech. 
Yeah, that's kind of the reason I chose the uh, the small portion there of uh, Kristen Wagoner's close yesterday to play for you and for the audience, because I think it's so compelling and so important. She said that compelled speech is a tool of authoritarianism, and it truly is. If the government can make you say something that you don't believe, that is kind of a step toward the government making you believe what they believe. And you're going to repeat it enough to the point where I almost think it's Orwellian. I almost think it's 1984. Um, and in fact, Chief, or not Chief Justice, but Justice Neil Gorsuch brought that up, that Jack Phillips was forced into a re-education program until he starts seeing things the way the government wants him to see them. That is authoritarianism, authoritarianism as Kristen said, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely right. And you can see this playing out, uh, you know, a situation in other sheets. Should the government be able to tell a Democrat speechwriter, you must draft speeches for Republican politicians to promote Republican policies? And we would say, no, of course not. Or should an LGBT graphic designer be required to create posters that criticize same-sex marriage? Again, of course not. And so if Lori wins, then that would protect all of those individuals as well. And if Lori loses, if Colorado prevails, then nothing would stop the government from being able to push any ideology, any belief on any of us. And like you said, force us to speak it and put us through re-education if we don't believe the way the government wants us to. That is such an important point. We are talking with Matt Sharp of Alliance Defending Freedom. He's senior counsel, state government uh, relations national director there. Um, you know, I hope it doesn't come to this, but if for some reason uh, the, the justices go the other way and actually give the victory to Colorado, I hope that happens. Now, I don't know if it would, you know, and you can tell me with respect to precedent and its importance in courts of law, but let's just say for a second they side with Colorado and somebody says, all right, let's put this to the test, and they go to an LGBTQ uh, uh, vendor or organization, a, a company, and say, we want you to print, create something that basically goes against who you are and what you stand for, um, and see how quickly that makes its way through the court system. How would the precedent set by this court decision affect that? Yeah, well, I... I... What I would be worried about, and we actually saw this come up in the argument, is the same government that tells Lori she must speak a message would somehow find a way to say, well, that's a different one, because this hypothetical came up. I think there was a question asking whether an LGBT organization could be required to print posters for a student club at a college who exists solely to promote a religious Christian view of marriage between one man and one woman. And the U.S. government said, well, no, that would be different. That, they, they would be allowed to decline that. And that was terrifying because ultimately what it's coming down to is the government saying, we want to be able to coerce speech, but only the type of speech we like, and we're not going to ever require this of the other side. And so that's where I would be terrified by a ruling against Lori because what it would ultimately do is empower the government to target often religious views about marriage, other views that it doesn't like, while still finding ways to get around any efforts to apply this to other views that maybe the government does favor. Um, help me understand that the the example you just gave that wasn't a hypothetical excuse me a hypothetical that was an actual case uh, the one of the uh, the the uh, LGBTQ uh, organization being asked to to uh, create something for uh, for an event that is that is pro uh, pro pro man and woman marriage. No, no, no. It, it was a hypothetical that was brought up uh, that one of the justices asked the U.S. government's attorney okay. and said, in this type of scenario, do you think the LGBT group ought to be able to? decline and they said yes of course but that wouldn't be discrimination under one of these laws and i think we were all listening saying well that's exactly Lori's case Lori serves everyone she would serve lgbt individuals it's just the message or as justice gorsuch said it so well it's not the who 
It's the what. It's not who's coming to Lori. It's what message is she being asked to express. And so I think it was really troubling to see the U.S. government say, yeah, we think for some views, we, the person's allowed to decline. But for others, no, they're not. Yeah, that, that is so important. Thank you for the clarification. They were using hypotheticals a lot yesterday, a lot yesterday, weren't, or uh, Monday, weren't they, Matt? Uh, uh, the newest uh, Supreme Court Justice, uh, Ketanji uh, uh, Jackson-Brown, said, what if, what if, how did it go? What if, uh, somebody wanted to, to recreate, um, uh, Christmas cards using, uh, uh, the famous movie, um, uh, why am I blanking on the name of the movie now? It's a wonderful Art. Life. Wonderful Life. Thank you. Which is all white. All of the characters there are white. Would they be allowed to deny black people coming in and from taking pictures on their all white set? Um, I, I don't understand how conflating race or essentially playing the race card here with something with uh, respect to uh, free speech is is even is even remotely related to this argument. But I think they were grasping at straws, were they not? Yeah, I, I think it brings up the exact thing in that scenario. It is the who it's looking at the person and saying, because of some characteristic in that hypothetical, because of your skin color, I won't serve you. And that's entirely different from Lori's case, where Lori serves everyone, including LGBT individuals. It's not about the who. It's about what is the message you are asking me to speak? What is the idea that you are asking me to express as I create a website? And a lot of those hypotheticals were conflating the two, and they are very two different things. And that's some, a point that Kristen uh, Wagner was making throughout this, is that Lori would serve everyone, and we're not asking and making the argument that people should be able to deny someone a service because of a characteristic, their sexual orientation, their race, or anything. Rather, everyone should be free to decline to support or create messages that violate their core beliefs. We're talking to Matt Sharp, part of the legal team at Alliance Defending Freedom, about uh, um, uh, Lori Smith's 303 creative lawsuit against uh, the federal government and the state of Colorado with respect to being forced to create a wedding website for a same-sex marriage. Um most legal analysts that I have read and heard you know, since Monday, Matt, say that this should be at least a 6-3, maybe even with Kagan uh, going the other way, going a 7-2 in favor of Lori Smith. But we have seen radical decisions from the court before, going back to the Obamacare with what Justice Roberts did, going back to Obergefell. I've seen some things that I just thought had no chance whatsoever, and they went the wrong way. How do you see this from what you heard already? Yeah, well, we're obviously hoping for a win for Lori, but I was encouraged as you read throughout the argument, as you read throughout the, the discussion that happened on Monday, the justices kept coming back to, I think, recognizing that there are free speech implications in this, and there are limits on what the state of Colorado or any government can do when it comes to coercing and compelling speech. A lot of the hypotheticals, I think we're getting at where that line is, but I think there was a very strong consensus among the court that there are clear limits of what the government can do when coercing speech. Uh, and so that's why we're optimistic that the court will simply affirm. We're not asking them to create new law, but simply affirm that the Constitution protects speakers and artists like Lori, like all of us, from that government-compelled speech. Yeah, that's so big. Uh, Kristen Wagner again made that point in the close, too. Look, we're not the ones. Laurie Smith's not the one asking to change the law. Uh, Colorado is asking to change the law. We're just asking you to uphold the law uh, and and, and uh, grant her right to not be forced or compelled to say something through her talents that she does not want to say, that she does not believe in, whether it be religious-based or just conscience-based, something she doesn't agree with. Uh, so it is important to note that that's what is being asked here. So... Um, let me ask you this. Uh, if it goes the other way, and I kind of said this before, but in more depth now, if it goes the other way, 
I, I'm thinking of what Jack Smith had, or, uh, uh, Jack Phillips had to go through through in uh, Colorado with the Masterpiece Cake Shop thing with the quote unquote reeducation program. If someone is ordered or compelled by you know the precedent set in this case to say something, provide something, produce, participate, or whatever in something in which they do not believe, and they refuse to do so, can the government say, "Well, we're going to put you in a program. You are hereby ordered slash sentenced to go through a program that will help you understand this better until you comply"? Can and will people be put into these? re-education slash information programs here by, ordered by judges? Well, I think it's a real risk. In fact, we've got another case going on in New York. And under New York's law, their version of the, the Colorado law, it includes up to $100,000 in fines and a year in jail for violating that law. And there we're representing a photographer that doesn't want to photograph same-sex weddings. And the state of New York is taking the position, we can force you to do that. Again, no question that photography is free speech, but New York's taking the position that it can force this photographer to speak and express a message about marriage that she disagrees with and backs it up with threats of over $100,000 in fines and a year in jail. We're seeing caterers, photographers, florists, uh, DJ and entertainment services, obviously website creators, and all geared around this one issue. It seems as though this is the hill that the LGBTQ movement is going to die upon here. They're going to force people, and that's what's so strange about that. You know, is they're supposed to be the um, uh, the the uh, believers and the promoters of tolerance and acceptance. That's what they want. They they demand acceptance and inclusion and inclusivity, but they will f- refuse to accept anybody else's view of the way things ought to be, whether it's religious or otherwise. So they're targeting anything and everything having to do with weddings, and it looks like they are going to continue to file suit after suit after suit until they get their way. Can you explain just what the precedent means here in that regard? Um, How much does a Supreme Court decision like this one, if it goes Lori's way, how much will it head off those future kinds of suits and they're working their way through the courts? I think it will be hugely important precedent to do that. Um, so rather than situations like Jack Phillips, where he's being dragged into court again and again and again, now on his third lawsuit, and the activist attorney that's suing him, this uh, individual that's demanding Jack create a gender transition cake or a, a cake depicting Satan smoking marijuana, uh, admitted that if this case was dismissed, that attorney would turn around and sue Jack again. Uh, and so we're seeing this ongoing harassment of Jack and others. And so we're hopeful that a win for Lori would help counterbalance and push back and stop some of those repeated lawsuits. But one other thing I say, we have actually seen some good encouraging things. There are some LGBT individuals that have been speaking out in support of Lori, in support of Jack, because they recognize that the same government that can punish Lori could turn around one day and punish them. And they recognize that a, a principled position is free speech for everyone. And so we've actually been encouraged by some strong voices from the LGBT community recognizing that the principle of free speech for everyone should extend to Lori just like it extends to them. That is so important, Matt Sharp, and I'm so glad to hear that, uh, because they do. We need we need support of all people who believe in the Constitution, and I don't care what your sexual orientation is or what your politics are, the Constitution should prevail here, and I'm glad they recognize that. Um, I would imagine also there are some, you know, who are friendly with Lori Smith, just like Jack Phillips had had uh, homosexual couples and people come in, he, he, he provided services for all the time, birthday cakes and 
all kinds of other various things that might be needed for things that just didn't have to do with something that violated a, a core religious tenet, such as marriage. Um, you know, so, so there are, there are a lot of, a lot of people who are not bigots and, and the LGBTQ community knows they're not bigots because they serve the people. They just can't serve certain events or they can't participate in certain events. As you pointed out, it's the speech. It's not the speaker that is the key here. That's exactly right. And it, it has been really encouraging for our clients, for Lori, for Jack, for Baronel and others to have those people in their communities that say, I disagree with your beliefs, but I stand with your right to not be forced by the government to speak something you disagree with. And I think that's personally encouraging to them, but as a bigger movement, I think it shows that for a lot of Americans, once they really understand this issue, that, that it's simply a person saying, don't coerce and compel me to say something I don't believe is true, they can quickly put themselves in Lori's shoes, in Jack's shoes, and recognize why they need to stand with them in cases like this. I just had a chilling thought. I figure I'll ask you before you go, Matt. Um, and maybe you can, maybe you can't. If Colorado wins and Lori loses, and one can be forced to say things that they do not believe, how would that affect a guy like me? I've got a radio show. I'm allowed to give my opinion for three hours a day. What if somebody says, I want you, in the interest of fairness, to say something positive about gay marriage, just since we're on the same topic of gay marriage. It could be anything. Uh, and, and they're going to sue me. They're going to take me to court if I don't, because they want equal access and representation of viewpoints on the public airwaves. Um, is that something that I would be protected against? Or if Lori loses, again, compelled speech, forced speech, coerced speech, um, would that extend to things like public broadcast airwaves? Yeah, I think we saw some of the, the, the door being cracked open to that in the argument. One of the hypotheticals was asking about the New York Times and publishing wedding announcements. And so you've got someone that's clearly in the media that historically the media, whether radio, print, has had strong First Amendment protection. And yet there seem to be some arguments from the other side saying, well, yeah, in in certain circumstances, the New York Times could be compelled to print wedding announcements that it didn't want to. And so you start to see those cracks and say, well, how far does that go? Could it apply to other media? If the government declares what you do as a public accommodation or perhaps a law applying to radio, then it seems to potentially give the government the power to compel you what to speak. And that's why we've been are taking these cases of lorries and others that, that you know, are the, um, maybe the fringe. It doesn't impact a lot of people on its face, but the principle absolutely does. And so a win for Lori would be a win for all of us, for those in media, for those that are small business owners, for other artists, for everyone of making sure that there are limits on the government's ability to compel speech. Thank you for crystallizing the point. That is exactly what I wanted to, to hear. It's what I tried to say through my own clumsy manner on Monday, or excuse me, yesterday when we were responding to what happened on Monday. This is so extraordinarily important for all of us, and I think you just put it very, very directly. Matt Sharp, uh, Senior Counsel and State Government Relations National Director for Alliance Defending Freedom. Thank you for the work that you guys do. How can people support ADF? Because what you do is free for the clients, but you need money to, to try these cases. How do we help? They can visit us at adflegal.org. They can learn more about Lori's case and others like it. Like you said, we are defending free of charge all the way to the Supreme Court uh, and learn how to support our efforts to defend free speech for everyone. Very important stuff. Matt Sharp, thank you for what you do, and uh, please uh, pass on our congratulations to Kristen Wagoner for a terrific case, and we look forward to uh, the results in June, and we'll talk again. Thank you. Thank you, sir.
Uh, that's Matt Sharp. Uh, we will. We'll follow up once the uh, uh, opinion comes down. It's expected to come down in about June, and we'll try to have Matt or Kristen or maybe a group of ADF attorneys on to, uh, to uh, react and respond to that. We hope it will be a positive response. Uh, quick time out now. It's 1055. In fact, we'll probably have our newscast next. Then Jack Windsor will join us, a host of issues on the table here in Ohio and beyond. Uh, he's my partner in our podcast. If you haven't checked it out yet, look for Talking Smack with Bob and Jack. Uh, wherever you get your podcast, Jack will join us next. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. You and I know... And do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420, The Answer. Eight minutes after 11 o'clock, and hour number three is underway on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Appreciate you being with us this morning. So we have got some news this morning, and we've got some disturbing news indeed. We're going to cover uh, with our good friend Jack Windsor. Jack Windsor is our state house correspondent with um, uh, the Ohio Press Network, working for us at Ohio or uh, at AM 1420, The Answer. He is the founder and editor of the Ohio Press Network. He is also my co-host on our very, very popular and growing uh, podcast. It's called Talking Smack with Bob and Jack. Find it anywhere you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, you name it, we're there. And they come twice a week, so check those out. Jack Windsor joins us now for some commentary on the big news of the day. Good morning, Jack. How are you? I'm super fantastic. Always an honor to be here with you and our listeners. Thanks yes, for sir. choosing me. You got it. Thanks, Jack. So I want to start with something that is um, a little bit disturbing uh, as it pertains to the outgoing chairman of the Ohio Republican Party, Bob Poduchek, who has been, let's just say, controversial to be charitable in some of the things that he has done during his time as chairman of the party, uh, refusing to allow audits uh, to account for some very, very serious financial discrepancies in terms of where the money goes, uh, funding a campaign for a non-endorsed candidate before an endorsement vote, blocking media from being able to, uh, uh, to, be able to witness uh, uh, the endorsement votes. Uh, a host of other things, too, trying to strong-arm potential candidates for the state central committee into abandoning their campaigns in favor of his friends and supporters. But this is, a, this is an entirely different story, Jack. Now we're talking about potential criminal activity here as it pertains to campaign finance law and state candidates' funds. I'm going to let you tell us what you've learned and, what you, uh, and what, share, share with us what you can. Yes. So I'm not as adept at campaign finance law and, you know, what the implications of earmarking may be. 
but I have heard some of a recording that played on Monday Night Roundtable. It was also released on Facebook by Committee for a Better Ohio. Now, the recording, sources say, is a snippet of a longer audio involving Ohio Republican Party Chairman Bob Paducek, as you just said. Now, in the recording, a person who appears to be and whose sources claim is Bob Paducek is explaining how money flows into the Republican Party and to candidates. Um, if you don't mind, Bob, and you want to indulge me, I'll, I'll read to you uh, a section from that um, from that recording. Read away. Uh, <clears throat> here, um, there are a lot of people that thought we gave Mike DeWine an inordinate amount of money. We did not give it. It was not our money to give. And I'll explain that for you in very simple terms. Uh, I will give you a very legal explanation. Candidates can raise money into the state party in something called the state candidate fund. And it is a fund that only money goes into, um, that only certain money goes into. I believe it's a little bit um, uh, grovelly there. Uh, there's, there is money that is raised by the governor. Uh, that money comes in and that money can be distributed to candidates. It's illegal for me to earmark that money, but the money always finds its way back to the people that help to raise it. Does that make sense? So that 700000 or whatever was a check that we wrote to Mike DeWine. That was money his campaign raised into the state fund. It's not the exact amount. It's a little bit less, but that's how the state candidate fund works. And it's a tool that Democrats use and our candidates use. But legally, they don't own that money, and we can give it to whoever we want. But traditionally, it finds its way home. That's not an easy thing to say publicly, and I would never explain it that way publicly. I let the lawyers do that. I've been doing this for 36 years, and I don't want to go to jail. So understand, I'm being more frank with you in this conversation, end quote. Now, I reached out to Bob Paducek directly, but he didn't answer my call or respond to my text. I also sent a text and placed a call to the Ohio Republican Party Director of Communications, Daniel Lushek, uh, but he didn't respond either. Sources also tell me uh, that the Columbus Dispatch may uh, be writing about this and release their story tomorrow. So a very, very brief summary or overview is Bob Paducek admitted to things privately that he said he would never say publicly because if he said them publicly, he would go to jail, except that it was being recorded without his knowledge And now it is being said publicly because of that recording. And now it's going to be that transcription you just gave in at least one and probably all of the major Ohio newspapers and maybe even beyond that. Um, Can you tell me anything about the recording? Can you tell me about its authenticity? Can you tell me anything about uh, where it came from, who did this, et cetera? I can I cannot speak to uh, its its authenticity. It's why I, I mentioned at the beginning um, that it's someone who appears to be Bob Paducek, and sources say that it is Bob Paducek, um, but I, I cannot authenticate the recording. Uh, my understanding is from? that it was. My understanding is it was a recording taken in a public place uh, during a meeting between Bob Paducek and a member of the Ohio Republican Party State Central Committee, and my understanding is that meeting was to discuss. Some of the issues that you raised when you teed this story up, how the party has operated, how it's handled money in the primary, how it's endorsed early in the primary. And uh, this snippet is a is a part of uh, what I'm told is is about an hour plus long conversation. 
Corporations are prohibited from donating to candidates but can donate to the party. However, in any case, political parties are prohibited from laundering specific contributions to specific candidates known as earmarking. And I'm reading now from uh, uh, a post, a a social media post uh, from the Committee for a Better Ohio, a little bit of a description of this as well. So so there are some... some serious allegations here, and there are some serious legs. What I, I believe to to this story, considering we have the video or the audio tape, rather, considering we have the uh, uh, statements uh, from uh, the transcript that you are providing. Obviously, the analysis of the law here provided by Committee for a Better Ohio, and we'll see what the Columbus Dispatch and others report. But this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the party chair was playing this fast and loose with the rules, I, I wouldn't be surprised one iota. Because we saw Bob Paduchik playing fast and loose with the rules of endorsements and funding with the ORP dollars, Mike DeWine's re-election campaign, when there had been no endorsement vote. That money went to Mike DeWine before they ever had the vote, which means Jim Renacy and Joe Blystone, for what that's worth, were put at a, at a disadvantage. These were registered, declared candidates for the office. He was essentially earmarking dollars from the ORP to the uh, ca- uh, the campaign of Mike DeWine. So this is this is not something that would surprise me at all the question is is what would be the um what would be the legal criminal and or civil liabilities if this is all proven to be true i know you don't have to answer that cuz you don't know either but this is a big deal and uh i trust the ohio press network is going to continue following up on this yes we will and uh you know we'll be very careful um with what we report as fact versus you know uh conjecture um, look, we've covered the state central committee for a long time. And, uh, one of the issues that many Republicans have and have had with the party is how the money flows, um, and seemingly at the behest or the approval of the chairman when there is an entire, uh, what's supposed to be 66 member committee, um, involved in that process. So, I don't know how long this has been going on at the state party, and I don't know uh, what the protocol has been prior to Bob Paducek's tenure, but I have a feeling we're going to learn that, and uh, we'll see where this story goes. Yes, we will. Uh, Jack, good good stuff. Thank you for the information there. Let's talk about a more disturbing story. Yes, this is more disturbing than even that potential political corruption at the uh, head of the Ohio Republican Party. Now we're talking about uh, endangering children. I would like to ask our listening audience, if you knew that the superintendent of your child or your grandchild's public school district had role-play fantasies about molesting children and shared those role-playing fantasies with his wife or ex-wife, and much less if he took it to um, online sources like Craigslist to try to solicit people to engage in these fantasies, would you keep your kid in that school? Because that's the question that Lakota public school parents uh, are asking right now. Because the superintendent of Lakota public schools, a guy by the name of Matt Miller, uh, is implicated in all of the above. Parents have demanded that he resign after these highly compromised sexual history and statements regarding sexual fantasies have come to light. Jack, according to an article uh, on the website run by Libs of TikTok, 
Miller heads this second largest district in southwest Ohio, the eighth largest school system in the state, more than 16,000 students, and he apparently is a sexual deviant with some extraordinarily dangerous and, yes, illegal fantasies about raping children. Now, I could go on here and read the actual article, but I'd like you to kind of give us a summary of what this says and, moreover, where this is going in Lakota Public Schools. Yeah, um, Bob, I'll first say uh, you can go to, as you just said, libsoftiktok.com. They have a sub-stack, and you can read this story, this report in its entirety. This is a hard one. Uh, This has been in the public purview for a while. Matt Miller is the superintendent. And, uh, you know, as is the case with divorce and separation and um, domestic court issues, you have to really be careful, right? And so I think we talked about this previously um, I didn't really want to weigh in because it, it's very common for people to throw accusations out about their spouse or soon-to-be former spouse in an attempt to get that person to maybe settle. And, you know, there's a lot that goes on within the domestic court system. Um, but Libs of TikTok has published some text messages. Um, it looks like um, reports uh, from interviews with detectives and uh, even a, a Craigslist ad that I think was subpoenaed or uncovered. And here's the long and short of it. Um, Matt Miller uh, allegedly um, had sexual fantasies uh, that he conveyed to his wife. They involved um, minor children and rape. Um, at uh, On two separate occasions, it appears, um, the topic was brought up involving uh, a group of young boys, and um, I guess the fantasy entailed those boys being drugged and Miller's wife having sex with them and recording uh, the rape uh, for Miller. Um, the report also shows that uh, it looks like there was a Craigslist ad that Miller placed several years back uh, circa 2016-2017, involving his wife and trying to lure men into sleep with her. Um, And when he was interviewed, uh, it appears that Miller didn't necessarily deny that the conversations took place. Uh, Rather, he chalked them up to role play and pillow talk. Uh, The Butler County Sheriff's Office, um, according to libs of TikTok uh, didn't examine any any of Miller's electronic devices, and they concluded that they didn't have enough probable cause to bring criminal charges. And on August 18th, the district attorneys uh, finally informed the school board of the allegations a full 10 days after the initial police report was filed. Um, I'll stop there. Well, um, we can't stop there because we have to address uh, the most important point here. And that is, he's still employed, right? Yep. He's still the superintendent of Lakota Public Schools, still in charge of 16,000 children, still establishing policies, still being around kids in whatever capacity that a superintendent can, despite all of these salacious details and text messages that were indeed saved by his uh, ex-wife. 
Um, you know, it's one thing to, to allege this is hearsay. I heard him say that. I heard him say that. That is obviously not admissible anyway, but there are, there are receipts here, if you will. There are text messages. There are transcripts of these things. There are the Craigslist ads that you're talking about. And I think what he and his attorneys want to dismiss as just fantasy role play changes when you go into the public realm and try to find people to live them out. To go to Craigslist and to say, looking for men who want to come and sleep with my wife so I can record them and then extend on to, obviously, uh, other things. In in part of the story, Miller's ex-wife alleged that her ex-husband used to traffic her to other men through Craigslist, then also sent her child pornography via email and text, asking her to molest children in the school district, including her own son, and you discovered some of that stuff. So... The fact that there isn't enough information here for them to at least, at least the Board of Education in Lakota, place the superintendent who is hired by the board, place him on leave pending a very, very thorough and important investigation. The fact that he just continues on unabated, Jack, is is impossible for me to comprehend. Well, on November 2nd, Bob, a five-week investigation um, found no evidence. Uh, according to the investigators, that Matt Miller engaged in any act that violated the law, district policy, or his contract. Um, and that was according to school board president Linda that's because it's That's because it's not against the law to be a pervert. It's not against the law to advertise for somebody to come and have sex with your wife. It's not against the law to say, hey, why don't you go down there and have sex with our son and his friends? It's not against the law to say things because we have freedom of speech and freedom of deviant fantasy. But it doesn't mean that you should be around children. And that's this is astounding to me that they would accept this investigation outcome and say, well, he didn't break any laws, he didn't break any district policies because he's never actually raped a kid yet. He didn't actually send any uh, 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 pornographic pictures of Lakota students yet. But, um, you know, the fact that he is so very open with his ex-wife about this and and going to Craigslist and trying to act upon these things, Jack, I cannot believe that they wouldn't say at least it violates this, the, the morality code, if there is any kind of such thing, uh, that says you can't be in our schools and you can't be around children. Yeah, well, the board, um, the board met uh, for two hours when that investigation was released, and they voted four to one uh, to keep Miller in his position. Um, which is startling to me. Uh, and, and listen, I, he has been accused of uh, nothing. Uh, I mean, illegal. He has not been charged, so he's innocent until proven guilty. I'm not trying to slander his uh, reputation, but it's very, very. There is there, there the is the board voted four to one to keep him in his position. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't be slandering anybody. First of all, you're reporting what it says on libs of TikTok, and so am I. Uh, and according to this report uh, by libs of TikTok, and according to the investigation that they have done. I think there yep. is at least one illegal uh, allegation or allegation of illegal activity here. Again, fantasies aren't illegal. Saying things isn't illegal, etc. If he doesn't act on them, but according to an interview with detectives, the ex-wife said that he sent her child pornography via email and text. That is trafficking right. in child porn. That would be something that is actionable in a criminal uh, a criminal uh, standard. Um, again, I don't know what the investigators, you know, thought of that. I don't know if there was, if she kept the receipts of those, like she did so many of the text messages, but that would be something that I think is illegal and thus actionable and something that I would imagine, uh, is still going to be investigated. So the real yeah, question, and I, I think, go ahead, go ahead, Jack. 
Well, I was going to say, I think really quick, Bob, um, the other issue that was raised is that Ohio State's ethical standards for education um, may have been violated. Uh, there, is a, there is a morality clause, uh-huh. um, and I expect that there will be um, action taken there. I would, I would uh, and I believe it's the State Board of Education that considers those alleged violations. So I don't think this is over by any means. I would be totally surprised if uh, a complaint um, uh, didn't find its way to the State Board of Education soon if it's not already there. Well, I would be totally surprised and am that 16,000 sets of parents in Lakota Public Schools haven't pulled their kids out of that district until this, uh, this guy is out of their, uh, out of their lives and certainly away from, uh, anything having to do with the education of their kids. Cause this is astounding. The, uh, the information that is again, and it's not just hearsay when you have receipts, when you have the, uh, you know, the text messages and emails and other things that uh, apparently are uh, available here thanks to the ex-wife. So we'll have to watch and see where it goes from here. We didn't get a chance to get to all of the stories that we wanted to talk about today, Jack Windsor, but there's good news. We are going to talk about those tomorrow night. Jack, and I'm there? excited about that. Okay. I thought I lost you for a second. Talking about our podcast, of course. Uh, um, uh, Talking Smack with Bob and Jack. Live tomorrow night, 7 o'clock on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, Twitch, and, of course, available wherever you get your podcasts. Jack Windsor, thank you for the reporting here. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks, Bob. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Jack. 1127, Always Right Radio, AM 1420, uh, AM 1420, The Answer. I almost almost said AM 1427, repeating the time. 1127, 1420, The Answer. Right back. Final segment at 11.35. We've got about 10 minutes left for you. If you want to get in, do so at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Um, I want to, um, follow up on one of the stories I didn't get to with Jack because it was Ohio related. We try to do as many Ohio stories with Jack as we can. Remember the holodrag event that was going to be held in Columbus on Saturday? We talked about it late last week. And we talked about a massive protest that was going to be scheduled out in front of this. This was a holla drag event, which is one of these perverted drag shows um, involving kids. As a matter of fact, they, they called it family-friendly for all ages, and kids under two can come and have their minds warped for free. It was going to be protested by a lot of people who just want to protect kids. Among those protesting groups was the Proud Boys. Now, the Proud Boys... Uh, uh, there are a lot of chapters, I guess, if you will, all over the all over the country of Proud Boys have a reputation of being white supremacists, white nationalists, uh, Nazis, neo Nazis, and all kinds of other things. Um, it is wholly unfair to lump an entire group uh, together in such a in such a way and to disparage them in such a way. I won't get into the all of the ins and outs of who the Proud Boys are and what they are and what they're accused of being. The fact that the Southern Poverty Law Center hates them, tells you everything you need to know. They do things probably that are, that are right, that are patriotic. If the Southern Poverty Law Center hates them, they're, they're probably not all that bad. 
But I don't want to get into that. I just want to point out what they were here for in this particular event. This particular event, they were here, or there, in Columbus, to, to protect children. To protect, protect children from the obvious uh, grooming that is going on by having grown men wearing you know, uh, provocative women's clothing, uh, pumping up their chests with fake boobs underneath their, their bras and all the nonsense that comes with drag events, right? They were there to prevent the, the children or to at least register, uh, their opposition to having children being, being a part of these things. And it kind of, it kind of matters. It's kind of important. So they're there, I believe, for the right reasons in this story. Now, the left, who supports the grooming of children by exposing young, uh, formative minds to this type of, uh, this type of perversion, this type of, uh, deviancy, they didn't like the fact that the Proud Boys are going to be there. And apparently they didn't like it so much so that the children were spared the abuse. The drag, uh, holo drag event was canceled. It was canceled. Ostensibly, they say, out of fear of clashing with the protesters. Now, I would never, have never, will never promote any kind of violent protest anywhere. I also don't promote or support any protests that block traffic, which we see all the time in big cities, including and especially in Columbus. I've seen far too many of those. I am for peaceful protesting, making your voices heard, which is exactly what Donald Trump was for, by the way, on January 6th. But um, they claimed, they being the uh, hosts of the drag story thing, the holo drag event, which, by the way, is an elementary school and a church, combining their efforts to try to warp these kids. How about that? Um, So I don't support any violence whatsoever, but they say that it was fear of violence that made them cancel this, safety concerns, as they called it, which is, you know what, just fine by me. Whatever the reason is, if the kids got saved from this, uh, this, this, this abusive type of event, uh, and the warping of their minds because their parents are so stupid that they take them to these things, I'm happy about that. Protecting kids is the right thing here. Malcolm, president of the Ohio chapter of the Proud Boys, only gave his first name, said the organization was protesting to stop the grooming. And you're not allowed to take children to sexually explicit events. One of the Proud Boys carried a sign that read, 18 plus, get rid of us. Uh, I had somebody on who talked about that. In other words, if you keep these events for adults, 18 and over, we're not protesting. Go do your thing. Go ahead. Don't do this to kids. However, so the event was canceled, but that's not the end of the story. First of all, that's good news that the event was canceled. I'm very, very glad to hear that. Kids didn't have a chance to be groomed on that particular day. But we know the fight will continue. But this particular story continues here as well because a Columbus Division of Police officer was quote-unquote caught, end quote, on tape high-fiving one of the members of the Proud Boys, drawing a response from the chief of police in Columbus. In the video, the officer is confronted by a woman who said her son is gay. The officer went on to say he supported the Proud Boys' right to protest not supporting their message. The Holo Drag Storytime event was to feature three drag queens reading stories to the children and then performing holiday songs and dances for them. Dozens of uh, Proud Boys and Patriot Fronts, etc. followed through with their online threats to march through the streets. This is NBC Columbus, by the way, in their verbiage, not mine. And rally at the church. The chief of police, Elaine Bryant, said the officer was part of a dialogue team who was there to help defuse the situation. 
A video has been shown online that shows one of our dialogue team members high-fiving a member of the Proud Boys. We understand how this looks and how this could make community members feel. However, this was not done to show solidarity, but an attempt to defuse a tense situation. Bryant said she understands the optics of the video and that it will be used as a training tool. She also points out there were no arrests, no violence, and no use of force at the protests. So in other words, a non-story that was attempted to be turned into a story that would lump police officers in with quote-unquote white supremacists and neo-Nazis, which the Proud Boys are, I believe, unfairly described as being part of. They wanted to say that the cops are as bad as these supremacists and these LGBTQ bigots and so on and so forth. When in reality, what this officer was doing was essentially befriending everybody at the event. Let's shake hands, high five, whatever. We're all peaceful here. You guys can say what you've got to say. They can say what they've got to say. We're all peaceful here. We're all friendly here. We may be on different uh, opposite ends of the messaging and about the uh, appropriateness of the event, but we're all here just doing our thing legally, responsibly, and yes, constitutionally, there's the right to protest, the right to gather, the right to say, I don't think this should happen again, as long as you're not breaking things, smashing things, burning things, or blocking traffic, which, by the way, are the things that are done on the other side of the political spectrum whenever protests happen. But these particular individuals did nothing wrong. They tried to protect kids. For that, I agree with and I salute them. And this particular officer did nothing wrong either. What he did was the right thing, and that is to try to show solidarity with the people who are being peaceful, not with messages being offered. Big, big difference. And I'm going to wrap with this one. Because this is going to underscore the insanity of the defense of holodrag and drag queen story time for children. Kirk Cameron, actor, writer, producer. You know Kirk Cameron. He's got a new book out, a children's book. And you know what that book does? That book celebrates family, faith, and biblical wisdom. Kirk Cameron is trying to reach American children with this very important message. He is being denied access to public libraries. Over 50 cities have said you cannot come to our libraries and have reading sessions with children if that's the book you're reading. You understand that? Drag queen perverts and groomers want to wear their sex outfits and read to kids and libraries say, come on in. We are all about inclusivity. Kirk Cameron comes in with his book on faith, family, and the Bible. What are you doing with that stuff? Get that smut out of here. You're not welcome in our library system. Somebody explain that one to me. Of course, you're going to have to wait till tomorrow to do it because we're out of time right now. Thanks so much to my guests. Thanks so much to our team. And thanks so much to you for listening. I always appreciate that. We're back tomorrow. Dr. Everett Piper will be here. Have yourself a great day. Be well, be safe, stay free. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.